Blog Talk Radio. Jean-Luc Jordy Specs, mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Quike is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. With that theme song, it's time for another awesomely exciting episode of Trek Talking and Beyond. And boy, do we have a good one tonight. Spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about the brand new, well, we're going to be talking about episode one of season three of Star Trek Discovery, which was last week's episode. We're going to be a week off the mark from this point on, so I don't know if spoiler alert is necessary, but there it is, spoiler alert. So, yeah, there you have it. And uh, we're going to have our usual great show. We have a lot of great Star Trek birthdays to talk about. we got some Star Trek news to talk about. And we have a great episode to talk about. An episode which, by the way, we all got to watch at the virtual premiere, as well as the episode that was on today, we got to see at the virtual premiere. So that was pretty cool. We got some really cool patches in the mail, which really was surprising. Silver and blue, they look really nice. And so our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We'll be live for the next two hours. Give us a call and let us know what you thought about Star Trek Discovery. 646-668-2433 is the phone number. And before we get started, I want to introduce my awesome co-host. We'll start off with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing great, man. It is a beautiful fall day here in Portland. I'm looking out my window here, and the kids are playing basketball on the court across the street. It's just, uh, I don't know. Life is good, man. Life is good. we got some good Star Trek to talk about today, too, which always gets my juices going. Oh, God, do we ever. It was tough having to wait a whole week to talk about this, but I'm glad that we are. And tonight's episode, even waiting another week to talk about that, which we saw two weeks ago, it's tough, but it's worth the wait. It's like a Dunkin' Donuts. It's worth the wait. <laughs> and we also Absolutely. have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Um, forecasters say today might actually be the last of the 90s. We're finally going to see 80 degrees in the weekend. Then we might actually see 70s or cooler with a cold front next much Monday. So the cool weather may finally be coming. Well, Leslie might see some snow up in Saranac, so we'll have to keep oh, our eye out on that. Let's let's hope not. <laughs> I've already heard. So, I already heard yeah. parts of the Midwest are already seeing snow. I can wait. I can wait. So, uh, guys, we broke twenty-one thousand followers on our Facebook page, and we're pushing towards twenty-two thousand. So, uh, thank you so much for that. 
all the stories that we talk about on this show uh, come from our Facebook page. That's where I get the stuff from. So if you guys want to be up to date on everything that's going on on Trek Talking and Beyond, then go to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Trek Talking and A-N-D Beyond. Spell that all out. Like and follow us. And that way you'll never miss any of the exciting, exciting news that we always talk about here live on the show. Also, you can find us on blogtalkradio.com backslash Trek Talking. All of our shows are archived there, so you can listen to any one of our shows going all the way back to the five years to the beginning. So please go over there and like and follow us over there, and that way you'll get email alerts whenever we schedule a show. So with that out of the way, we usually go around the globe right now, and for that, we turn to Eric. So take it away, Eric. Well, we are honored, as always, Jim, to have so many people from around the globe, not only in the United States, where 76% of our listeners come from, but all over the rest of the planet, we have people who listen to us as well. And of the top five in terms of number of people listening to us right now, in our number one slot internationally, we have Hold and Steady Australia, the folks down under with 4.39% of our listeners. So thank you folks for listening and Man, that's a long ways away from here. It's so cool to think that people over there are thinking about Star Trek as much as I am today. Uh, In our number two slot, we have the UK with 3.88% of our listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, We've always dug the people just across the pond, and uh, always good to have you on our team as well. Right next door to them in our number three spot, we have Ireland with 3.56% of our listeners. Thank you, folks from Ireland. Uh, still creeping in and keeping their uh, number four spot here this week, uh, folks from Scandinavia, Norway, with 2.38% of our listeners, up just a tick from last week. And Canada is holding on to that number five spot. 2.12% of our listeners come from the country just to the north of us. Thank you so much to our northern brothers and sisters for sharing this Trek phenomenon with us. And thank you, everyone who listens to us and downloads our show every week. We love you. Jim, what happens yes, we after do. we do the, and the uh, numbers around the globe? <laughs> well, I want to I do a little personal shout-out. First of all, I want to let all of our Canadian listeners know that, you, that Spain is knocking on the door with 1.88% of the listeners in Spain. They want that number five spot. They want it bad. They've been creeping up, you know, as Canada's been creeping down, so... Um, you know, you guys in Canada got to get the word out to your friends and, and, and try to stay there. And the people in Spain, you just keep climbing that ladder. Um, hopefully, hopefully you guys can make it into our countdown. That would be great. But I'd like to see our Canadian brothers uh, get back up to the number one spot where they were for years and years and years. That's where we got GM Chris from. So hopefully that can happen. Also, Ireland, I'd like to give a shout out to Irish Trekkie. Over in Ireland, um, who's checking us out as well? So uh, hello and thank you to, to Irish Trekkie. So we don't, other than just giving shout-outs to individual countries, which is awesome. We also like to have a little personal touch here on Trek Talking because we are live and we are a fan organization. We like to say thank you to our particular fans that listen. You can go to our Facebook page, as I mentioned, Truck Talking and Beyond, spelled out. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper at the top. Leave us a note. Tell us where you're from. And every week I pick 15 lucky listeners 
If you see a little heart next to your name, that means I picked your name, and we give you a personal shout-out like we're about to do. So, Eric, why don't you take us away with our first fan shout-outs? You bet our first shout-out this week goes to Malcolm Wood from Sheffield in the U.K., Sector 001. Hey, Malcolm, guess what? I'm from Sector 001 too, man. Cool. (laughs) Thank you for listening to us, Malcolm. Uh, Our second shout-out this week goes to David Collier from Fairhelm near Portsmouth also in the U.K. Uh, Thank you for listening. Malta M. Bechter from Berlin, Germany is also listening to us. Big shout-out to you. Thank you so much for listening to us. Hugh Thompson from Bangor County down Northern Ireland. Thank you so much for listening to us, Hugh. It's so great to hear you uh, getting in touch with us on our Facebook page. It's, man, love that interaction with the fans. And also, hello to Gina Thiessen Henneberry from Abbotsford, B.C. in Canada, just to the north. Thank you for listening to us. Charles, who else is listening to us right now? Well, we got Eddie Stevens from Oregon with Eric. Brian Jensen in New York City. New York City. Tom Sherman from University Park, Florida. David Wade from Worcestershire, UK. And James Beckin from Jamestown, North Dakota. Jim, finish us off. And wrapping things up with our fan shout-outs, we'd like to say a huge hello and a super thank you to John Holbrook, Jr. Hello from Oswego, New York. Live long and prosper. You know what, John? Kapla! And we'd also like to say thank you to Greg Hogworth from Australia, the land down under. Good day, mate. And Holger Overdick from Hamburg, Germany. Chris Johnson from Ontario, Canada. And last but definitely not least, Dolly Joel from Wisconsin, U.S. of A. So those are our fan shout-outs for the week. If you'd like to hear your name in the fan shout-out, just visit our Facebook page, tell us where you're from, and we'll get you on the air. So thank you. We couldn't do the show without the support of all you awesome, awesome fans. And now it's time for Star Trek. That was not a Klingon song. And uh, usually we start off our birthdays with our remembrances, and for that, we're going to turn to Eric. Take us away, Eric. Yeah, so this week we have uh, seven people who we are remembering who would have had birthdays this week that are from our Star Trek family. Uh, first, we'd like to start out with David Armstrong, who played the role of Car 10 in the TOS episode Operation Annihilate. Um, we'd also like to remember Mark Lemura, who played John Doe in the TNG episode uh, Transfigurations, which was, uh, I thought, a pretty pretty cool episode. Um, this one here is a little bit, you may have heard of this one, and there's quite a few more roles associated uh, with him. Uh, we're also remembering Lou Scheimer, who uh, played the Romulan commander uh, in The Practical Joker, uh, which is a TAS episode. And uh, he played an Orion lieutenant in the Pirates of Orion, which was another TAS episode. Also, 
Lou Scheimer was producer for Filmation um, for TAS. So I had a hand in all of that, that awesome Filmation, um, you know, animation style that we all know and, and love from that era. It was all over the place. Uh, so happy birthday to Lou. Um, this week we're also remembering Michael Dunn, who played Alexander in the TOS episode Plato's Stepchildren, which I think is one of those episodes that um, people kind of think of as a go-to uh, TOS episode, uh, and that role of Alexander there being played by Michael Dunn. So happy birthday, Michael. We're also remembering this week Georgia Brown, who played Helena Roshenko, uh, who, of course, is Worf's stepmother. Uh, we learned that in the TNG episode, Newground and Family, uh, those two episodes. So happy birthday to Georgia Brown, who I think played a really interesting role, you know, having to kind of step into that, being that human who raised a, a Klingon-type uh, role, very unique in the Star Trek world uh, in some respects. You know, they did it with Vulcans, but uh, doing it with Klingons was something new. We're also remembering this week Julie Parrish, who played Miss Piper in the TOS episode, The Menagerie, uh, part one. And Jim was very kind to me this week. He gave me uh, one of our banger birthdays that, of course, affected a lot of us uh, when she died and, uh, you know, is, is kind of reaches back into our childhood memory. Uh, Carrie Fisher's birthday would have been this week who, of course, is um, known mostly by us sci-fi geeks as uh, Princess Leia in the Star Wars movies. Um, and the fact that they were able to actually continue her legacy a little bit, even after she was gone, I thought was was kind of cool. Um, but, of course, nothing can replace the real thing. Uh, her from those original three movies are just iconic, you know, burned into my brain as a as kind of an icon of a, of a woman who could, you know, be caught in a really bad situation and kind of fight her way out of it. Uh, I think she was a very positive influence on a lot of people. So you guys have anything you want to say about Carrie Fisher? It's too, it's too bad that we've lost her, but uh, I know I was devastated when we lost her. The way she influenced yeah, you guys. Yeah, I was definitely devastated. The fact is just growing up with her, I'm sure she had plenty of roles, but she was always Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think being Trek talking and the fact that we are going to be talking about the Mandalorian, I, I don't stray too often off of the Star Trek path, but when I do, it's, it, will, it will be for somebody iconic like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Carrie yeah. Fisher oh, as yeah. Princess Leia was just a phenomenal role. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, Princess Leia. And so uh, when something like this comes along, we have an opportunity to, you know, express our appreciation and remember somebody as iconic as Carrie Fisher, maybe, you know, um, uh, who else? David Prowse as Darth Vader, maybe Kenny Baker, uh, Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca, stuff like that. I will put them on this show because they deserve it because they, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be into Star Trek. And so Mm -hmm. there you have it. (laughs) That's right. Yep. All right, Charles, uh, now with the folks who are still with us that have birthdays this week. Okay, let's start off with Mary Elizabeth McGlenn, who played Delenn from Voyager's This or This. Jeffrey McCarthy 
played Roga Roga Dagnar in TNG episode The Haunted. Sam Whitwer played a Zindi Avery from Enterprise and Shipment. He was also the voice of Darth Maul in Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. Which That's cool. was recently talked about by the YouTube series or live series uh, Starry Morning Cartoons with our friend Mark mm-hmm. D. Lee. That's right. We got Molly yep. Brink who played an Andorian. But the Dorian Lieutenant Talis in Enterprise Probing Ground, Stable One, and United. Mm-hmm. Kimberly Fall, so Clay Lagar from TNG episode Symbolist. And Sheila Leeton played Loomis in the TOS episode Fox Brain, which we heard, I think, more of because one of our favorite authors who wrote about fake Star Trek was involved in a theatrical version of the same episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lunch, just finish us hey. off. Oh, well, after, ahead, after Eric's finished. Yeah, well, I was just going to go back, and I wanted to give a special shout-out myself to Molly Brink, who you mentioned, um, who played Lieutenant Talis on Enterprise, because um, she was awesome. She was, like, the uh, counterpart to, uh, of course, Tran, and I think more than any other show really developed the idea of what a kind of, like, a female in the Andorian military could be like. Um, so I just wanted to give a particular shout out to her and her birthday this week uh, of your group, Charles. She was the one who I was like, oh, yeah, I really liked her character uh, among all of these folks. So, yeah, thanks. All right, Jim. And Kim- Kimberly Farr, who was in the episode Symbiosis, you guys might remember, yeah. uh, she was the female uh, drug dealer. And yes. um, uh, the other guy that played in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, whose name I can't remember – with the right hair. now, with the yeah, was was her drug dealing husband, and that was yes. that episode had, was where Beverly Crusher wanted to violate the Prime Directive and give this planet the cure for this for this virus, this disease, which actually well, was two, a drug addiction. Two, yeah, exactly. Two planets independently evolved, where one was like the drug addicted and one was the drug uh, producer. And so she wanted to violate the prime yep. directive oh. to break that cycle. And Jean-Luc was like, nope, we can't do that. Uh, it's like prime directive. And then eventually, of course, he finds a clever way to kind of ensure that it will happen one way or another. Yes, that was a, that was a good one. And Spock's brain, uh, actually, her birthday's today. And how can you not mention Spock's Brain? One of the classic episodes of TOS is probably the best episode they've ever, they ever made for that series. With Spock's Brain, I will say so. I will say that a lot of people will say that it's the worst episode, but I will say that I think there are others that are worse. Um, <clears throat> Friday's Children, excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, that Friday's Children is is right up there. 
I think I'm not sure. I, is she the one? Is she the one that says brain, brain? What is brain? Is that her? Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's got that kind of like blank. Yeah. She's a. I don't think the actress was given much to work with, but she's also not acting the heck out of that part. <laughs> yeah. So that's. And I also wanted to go back to uh, Sam Witwer. Uh, he played a Zindi on oh, no. Star Trek, obviously. But uh, Darth Maul, he was the voice of Darth Maul in Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, which which he did excellently. But Sam Witwer also played a vampire on um, um, on that other show. <laughs> My synopsis is setting in. But uh, Sam Witwer has been involved in a lot of stuff. Um, and I, I saw him actually – at a convention with Carrie Fisher, oddly enough. And uh, my wife wanted to go and meet Sam Witwer, and I wanted to go meet Carrie Fisher. And so, uh, you know, her and Jamie went to meet Sam Witwer, and I went to meet Carrie Fisher. So that was interesting. But Sam Witwer, what was the name of that show? What was the name of that show? It was a ghost, a werewolf, and a vampire, and they all lived together. Um, it was a British show, and then they made an American version on the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, oh, was that uh, in the shadows of something? Shadows creep. It was. Um, oh man, I can't, <laughs> why am I drawing a <laughs> blank right now? But it was a pretty good show. I, I like the American one better than the British one mm-hmm. myself. Um, but it was a pretty good show. He had a, he was a pretty interesting character. Um, so I wanted to I just wanted to give a, a shout out to that. And Jeff McCarthy, who played Rogue Dainar, we talked about him because of the, there was a Lower Decks comment that Mariner made about who was the biggest badass in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You guys remember? And, yep. uh, yeah. And, Whether and Boimler is. says, yeah. <laughs> Rogue Dainar, and she's like, fuck Rogue Dainar. I'm just, I was just, that is one of the funniest lines I've heard on, on Lower Decks was that one over Rogue Dainar. Did we do so, a- now we did have an we opportunity. Did we do a poll of that one? I can't remember. Yes, we did a poll to find out because I was trying to remember. Uh, Mariner said it was Khan, and Boimler yeah. said that it was Rogadainar. and Khan actually won. But Rogadainar gave him a good run for the money. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting poll. Uh, I wish we could do polls. We can't do polls anymore on the new Facebook. So I still have some poll results to give out from when we used to do polls. But what I'm doing now instead of polls is I'm asking questions. You guys can answer the questions, and then we'll, we'll pick some of, the re- some of the replies and read them on the show, and then we'll discuss that particular question ourselves because we can't do polls. Now, we are, I am doing – I don't know if you want to call it a poll, but I do put up a question of rating this week's episode 1 to 10, which we're going to get to later in the show. We used to do it as a poll and say, you know, our, our viewers gave this episode an 89 or a 95 or whatever. We can't do that anymore. So now we're just going to do a 1 to 10 as a rating. And if Charles feels so inclined, he can go through and add those all up and tell us what the overall rating of the fans was, um, taking out the crazy ones where people give it a 1701 or all this stuff. Um, but anyways, we're going to do that a little bit later in the show. So we still have a few more birthdays to get to, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, but there's one really, really good one in there. And we're going to have to take our very first commercial break, believe it or not. 
for our listeners at Odyssey Radio. We'll be right back. For the rest of you guys, you can just kind of hang out and, and listen. Uh, this is our, our promo that a friend of mine who works at a radio station did up for us, and we're going to be playing this particular promo on a lot of radio stations and a lot of podcast broadcasters to try to generate some more interest in the show. This is our Truck Talking promo. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. So we do have a couple of birthdays, more birthdays to go to before we get into the Star Trek news. I want to start off with uh, Herschel Sparber, who played the UFP president, uh, Jaron Inro, in the DS9 episodes, Paradise Lost and Homefront. I actually had to go back and watch those two after putting this up, and they were really good episodes, I felt. Um, mm-hmm. Really good. Um, so... Uh, Barbara Baldwin, who played Lieutenant Angela Marine in the TOS episode Balance of Terror and Shore Leave. I was surprised when I found out she was in Shore Leave because in Balance of Terror, she was getting married. And then a few episodes later, she's running around on a planet and she's got a new boyfriend. I guess the death of her Mm. fiance didn't really affect her all that great. Um, I never realized that was the same, that was the same character either. So I don't think I realized that was the same character and you remember there were a couple of those episodes that were actually um they put them in not necessarily in stardate order so there are a couple of episodes where the stardate kind of goes back in time a little bit uh so you know maybe that's one of those who knows that that could be yeah that could very well be uh marcia hun who played anna jameson in the tng episode too short a season and she's 103 years old what? Yeah. That is you unbelievable. That's me. amazing. I actually had to go and check and make sure that she that we didn't make a mistake and that she was still with us and my god, she is 103 years old. Wow. Wow. Incredible. That's amazing. Just 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 wow. Uh this next one is a is is not a Star Trek character. This is a real person who was on Star Trek but didn't have a character name because she's a real person, uh, Dr. Mae Jameson. Uh, she guest starred on the TNG episode Second Chances as a scientist. And why is that so special? Because she's the first African-American woman to travel into space for NASA, and she started off all of her communication to NASA with the classic Uhura line, hailing frequencies are open and michelle nichols even visited her on the set when they were filming that episode she's a huge star trek fan and she got interested in the space program because of michelle nichols and star trek so happy birthday to dr jameson actually they are still friends it was two years three years ago two or three years ago star trek las vegas the first panel on Wednesday morning with Dr. Mae Jameson as she talked about her time in Star Trek and her time in space. 
and Michelle actually did come out and shake her hand on stage. But she is a fascinating, yeah, that... fascinating person to fascinating person to listen to. Mm-hmm. She really yeah, is was, a trekkie, cool. and it was cool. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I put I had to put her in there as a real life hero. Actually, um, most yeah. of the people we talk about are actors portraying characters, but she's not. She's a real life hero. So, happy no, birthday! She is a her. yes, definitely. And uh, now the next one, the next one is, has gotten so many numerous. I mean, this guy has been in like everything, and so when I tell you his name, uh, you're going to be like, "Oh wow, why are you mentioning him?" Well, we want to send out a happy birthday to Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon played the Clown of Fear in the Voyager episode, The Thaw, which I've never seen. I might have to go back and find mm-hmm. it and watch it now. Cause I but mm. for those of you who are long in the tooth, shall I say, you might remember him as Lenny from Lenny and Squiggy from the Laverne and Shirley show, maybe. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're a little bit younger, like my daughter's age, you might remember him as Agent Seedling from the Coneheads movie, maybe. Mm-hmm. And if you're even just a little bit younger than that, you might remember him from an excellent two-part episode of the X-Files called The Dreamland, where the character was able to switch bodies with somebody, and, and Michael McKeon takes over the body of Fox Mulder and uh, tries to put the moves on Scully. Great episode. Uh, and he's been in, oh, my God, uh, just so many things. I mean, I'm a, when I looked him up on IMDb, I was like, oh, my God, I can't possibly list everything that he's done because he's been in so much stuff. Uh, but I tried to touch on the ones here that, that our listeners might know him from the most. So um, happy yeah. birthday to Michael McKeon. Um, I saved the best for last. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Charles, I mean, Eric got the Gary <laughs> Fisher, um, mm-hmm. but great Scott that I get a good one. This is so yeah. uh, did. I, I always do the Klingon. <laughs> yeah, I always do the Klingon, and I actually met this guy. As I said, uh, I met him at a convention uh, quite a couple of years ago, and uh, I had him. My wife had him sign a uh, Back to the Future poster. I wanted to get her to sign a Star Trek three poster, uh, but, you know, I got to get the Carrie Fisher autograph on my Empire Strikes Back poster, so the wife got to get him to sign a Doc Brown autograph on a Back to the Future poster. So that was cool, and he signed it. Great Scott, which is pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah. of course, I'm talking about the very versatile, awesome Christopher Lloyd who, of course, played Commander Krug in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. He played Dr. Emmett Brown into the Back to the Future trilogies. He played Uncle Fester in the Addams Family movies. He played Jim on Taxi. He's been in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, I was, oddly enough, I was watching a 1981 version of The Lone Ranger, and there he is, mm-hmm. shows up on The Lone Ranger as the bad guy on the Lone Ranger. Yeah. I mean, this guy has been everywhere. He's done everything. And uh, he's a really awesome dude if you ever get a chance to meet him. So, kapla! Well, and happy birthday he also to owned, Christopher Lloyd. He also owned 
two different time traveling ships. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he does. Both the DeLorean and the other He owned a ship one? and a car, and both of them traveled through time. And you know what's funny? When we went to Universal, um, when they, they had the, this Back to the Future ride down there, and we went there, and Doc Brown was not not Christopher Lloyd, but they had an actor playing Doc Brown who was absolutely phenomenal as Doc Brown. Well, since then, they've taken the Back to the Future ride out, and now it's The Simpsons. Well, it was last time I was there. I don't know if it still is, but it was. So when we went down there with Jamie, Jamie never got to see the Back to the Future ride. We got to go to the Simpsons, but they have the train and the DeLorean there out in front of the place. And who was out there but Doc Brown taking pictures with everybody with his wild hair and his, his antics. And he, the, the actor that they had playing him just nailed the Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown character to it. You would have thought you were talking to Doc Brown himself. It was incredibly awesome. So, happy birthday uh, to Christopher Lloyd. So, that brings us to Star Trek News, which is still in the works, people. Um, we'll, we'll fix it. <laughs> I got to work on that. We got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. I guess okay. Yeah. It gets, the, it gets yeah. the point across, yeah. I think. It's the you point know, across. Yeah. We got to yeah. add some... Whoosh. Whoosh, whoosh. We got it. We, I'm gonna spruce it up, but anyway, time for we Star need Trek. Some, we need somebody to sing the uh, original series theme in a high soprano in the background. Yeah, something like that. It just just to break up the show a little <laughs> bit. So basically, guys, this is where we do our Star Trek news. All the stuff that we're about to talk about, you can find right on our Trek Talking Facebook page. If you want to read the entire article. Or if you think we're making stuff up and lying to you, go check it out for yourself. Fact check us. And you can do that by going to Facebook at Truck Talking and Beyond and read the article in its entirety. I just pull out the highlights so that we can get the news to you guys, but you can read the whole article. Um, we will be talking about Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 2. We'll be doing those. It airs on uh, Friday, October 30th. And the following week will be the same thing with Discovery. We'll be a week behind. And um, obviously the show's on Friday. Our show's on Thursday. Unless we borrow Doc Brown's time machine. <laughs> so um, we will be yeah. a week behind. And we will be talking <laughs> about The Mandalorian. For those of you who haven't yet seen it, there is a new trailer for Mandalorian Season 2. And just to wet your whistle a little bit, I'm going to play that for you right now. Mandalore the Great 
and an order of sorcerers called Jedi. Do you expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. because there's a lot of visuals that you're not getting on the radio in that particular clip, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I was a little, well, if you guys listen to our past podcast, you know what I thought about season one. I'm really looking forward to season two because I feel that they, the issues that I had with it, I feel like they have addressed them. So I'm really looking forward to season two and we'll be covering that right yeah. here live on truck talking. So, Star Trek news. Star Trek Discovery is renewed for season four. Yay! Production starts in November. And if you guys don't believe me, I know if you think we're lying to you and Discovery's terrible and it's been canceled and all this other stuff, just to, just to prove it, I got a little sound bite to play for you guys. Maybe Star better. Trek Discovery. Season four. It's official. We are back. November 2nd. Production begins. Oh my goodness, I am so excited uh, to be back on set. I am looking forward to the one thing I always look most forward to when we get to come back for another season of Star Trek Discovery, and that is to be reunited with my family again, the, the, the Trek family, the Discovery family. It's going to be great to see everybody, and I think we're going to really love on each other. To be able to, to at least be in the same room again, uh, even if we can't hug each other right away, I don't know how it's all going to work, but, but I can't wait. I'm so excited um, to uh, to be to be giving you a season four and watch season three. That's what I would say. That's what I'm really excited about. Awesome news for us Star Trek fans. The fourth season of Discovery begins yeah. production in Ontario, Canada, on November second. The announcement came via a video featuring executive producer and co-showrunner Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise, along with Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones. Prep work on Discovery has actually already started and been underway due to strict COVID protocols, including requiring cast and crew to quarantine before shooting. New episodes of Star Trek Discovery premiere on Thursdays on CBS All Access in the United States and on CTV Sci-Fi Channel in Canada where it's also available to stream on Crave. Episodes will be available on Fridays internationally on Netflix. So, oh, and by the way, you can watch, if you haven't already seen it, Star Trek Discovery Season 1 is currently playing on the regular CBS television at 10 o'clock. My time tonight, you can watch Season 1 if you haven't seen it. So that's great news. Star Trek Discovery Season 4 will be back. 
Eric, why don't you get into our next story? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's cool that they are kind of taking the same approach that things like, uh, you know, other bigger organizations are taking, whereas if they quarantine together, maybe they can get to work. And what's interesting about the timing on that is our second article actually talks about how we may actually see Star Trek Discovery Season 4 before we see Picard Season 2. You know, the Star Trek universe has been somewhat lucky in the tumultuous year of 2020. Star Trek Picard debuted before the COVID-19 pandemic took hold, while Discovery Season 3 completed principal photography in February 2020, which was, of course, just before everything sort of hit. Uh, Meanwhile, Lower Decks is an animated show and was able to finish its post-production remotely. So fans probably expected to see Picard Season 2 before Discovery Season 4 simply because the season finale of Picard Season 1 has already happened and Discovery Season 3 has just started. Um, But most of the new Star Trek productions have filmed in Toronto. That's where Discovery sets are and where most of Season 1 and Season 2 was shot Parts of season three were shot in Iceland, but the sound stages for Discovery are also in Toronto. That said, most of Picard season one was shot instead in California. So if you do some dot connecting, it seems like Discovery season four is filming ahead of Picard season two, partially because of location. There's nothing to prevent Strange New Worlds, Picard season two, uh, or maybe even section 31 from filming roughly at the same time as Discovery season four. The outlier here is Section 31, though. You, we know that that series will focus on Giorgio, who is, of course, played by Michelle Yeoh, and we know that she is very much in Discovery Season 3. We've uh, already got a little taste of that uh, in the second episode. But will she be in Discovery Season 4? Kurtzman has teased a surprising setting for the Section 31 series. What? So it seems possible we'll get some kind of plot resolution about where Giorgio ends up in Discovery Season 3. That's what we are all presuming. But could that mean Section 31 will also go into production soon? So I think the lesson here is that it seems like things in the U.S. are a little bit more delayed and they're having trouble figuring out how to get these balls rolling. But shows that are being shot uh, up north in Toronto seem to be rolling ahead with various quarantining and other procedures in place. So, of course, uh, our hearts are with everybody and hope that everybody's staying safe. Uh, but it's very exciting news to know that some of these shows are going ahead right now simply because we we all do love our Star Trek content. There's no question. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings us around to Charles, who gets our next story. Yep, I'm not surprised I get that. So I get this one. <laughs> yep, that, there's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there more to Star Trek Discovery's cat than meets the eye? The most popular character in Star Trek Discovery season, season three probably isn't a human. But does the introduction of Grudge, book's giant cat, foreshadow a bigger plot twist? Brooks says that Grudge's large size is because of a thyroid condition. <laughs> Book refers to Grudge as a queen, which might be a subtle reference to the popular legend of, Mer- of Maine Coons 
were uh, particularly partially created by Marie Antoinette. Either way, Grudge is a big, awesome, and his book says she's all mine. Other than being a cute animal that provides a layer of eccentricity to Trek's newest daring space pilot, is Grunge really just a cat? Book speaks of Grunge in a way that makes the cat seem more of a sentient than we think. Maybe we've got, maybe we've been conditioned by the episode of Star Trek the original series in which a black cat, Spock, was strangely drawn to appeared to be a shape-shifting woman, which we learned about a little more Mm. in our comic series in Star Trek Year 5. Also something interesting we don't mention mention that often, that we learned in our... um, with Will Wheaton is that grunge is not actually one cat. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's actually a yep. male and a female. It's true, playing one role. One is, I believe the term was significantly furrier, but that you wouldn't notice it on camera. <laughs> but, you know, we don't just yep. have ISIS. We also have Spot. And, uh, you know, I saw a thing online today that said that Grudge is actually already starting to give Spot a run for his money in terms of most popular Star Trek cat of all time. And that would be quite a feat considering that, yeah. uh, you know, Data's cat was a pretty big part of his life. Yeah, he even wrote a, he even wrote a song for Spot, Ode to Spot, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, poetry yeah. and songs and all and, kinds of stuff. Yeah. And the fact that they reproduced him in Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It shows how important he was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so yeah, Greg, the Greg article the also mentions um, mentions the cat Goose from uh, from the Avengers movies. If you guys remember that, um, in Miss Marvel, when uh, Samuel L. Jackson says, "I have a cat and I'm not afraid to use it." And he's waving the cat around. Mm-hmm. And the cat is actually a flurkin, and he and he's an alien that eats people. And, he, and in fact, that's yeah. the cat that takes his eye. That's why he has an eye patch. So you know, cats aren't always what they seem to be. And I just thought this was a fun article because I think it kind of fits into Star Trek. And you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more to the cat than meets the eye. Um, I wouldn't care if there's not. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is. We just don't know. And and there is precedence in Star Trek for the cat to be more than just a cat. I thought mm-hmm. that was something fun to throw in there. And uh, being a cat person, I figured who better than to talk about the cat than Charles. So that's why Charles got the cat <laughs> article. Because <laughs> so, yeah. AJ, where's AJ? AJ's not here right now, thankfully. He's probably off doing evil somewhere else. He's not hanging off of me right now. He'll probably be in later. Oh, but um, <laughs> Carla was just here to talk to me. She was scratching at the window. She's off going on another voyage right now. See, I'm more of so... a dog person, and I always thought that I was safe because we just had uh, Porthos to deal with. But, you know, now that Pendy has made dog 
And that that dog turned into a creepy thing, too. I don't think dogs are safe either in Star Trek. No, I, I yeah, you're right. You're right. I Well, yeah, you know, I was never a dog person. I always had cats until my wife decided that Jamie had to grow up with a dog and we got a dog. And now I'm a pet person. I love animals. I have cats. I have dogs. Mm-hmm. I love them all. They're, yeah. they're all, they're all awesome. They all, they're all <laughs> have their own special little quirks. You know, they're all, my cats are totally different than my dog. My, you know, they're, they're, they fill different holes. So, mm-hmm. um, I do yep. have, there, I, I posted a question on our Facebook page, um, you know, why are you a Star Trek fan, which I thought was a, a great question, and we got a lot of great responses, but um, I don't know if I want to go there right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Interesting. Let's, yeah. Let's come back to that <laughs> if we have time. We can always push up to next week if we have to because there's so much to talk about in this premiere. We waited we waited 18 months to talk about Star Trek and Discovery in particular. We have a lot to talk about. I think we'll skip that one for now. And uh let's let's uh yeah, let's do it. Let's go on to uh the next topic here. I asked fans after the premiere of Star Trek Discovery, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 as the best, what would you rate the Star Trek Discovery episode, That Hope Is You? And you know what was weird? They refer to it as That Hope Is You Part 1, but then Episode (laughs) 2 is not called That Hope Is You Part (laughs) 2. Which is weird. How could that be Part 1 and then it it doesn't have a Part 2? Well, we went through our uh, episode list for the entire season, and there was no part two to this one, right? Or is there? I don't think no. there was. On that no, list. there's not. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah kind of I forgot the title of the Yeah, episode. well, you know, maybe they're going to pull a Unification 3 thing, and we'll get part two next season. Or in a different See, that show. Could be. Maybe we'll get part two on Section 31. <laughs> uh, well, it's interesting. Yeah, oh, you know what? It's interesting. When, I got to say. When you, Jim, when you mm-hmm. gave me the original title... It wasn't tagged to part one. But now it is, yeah. I agree. But now right. it, it is. Let's tagged. wait and see let's wait and see if we look at the title for Far From Home to see if it's tagged to part two. Yeah, maybe they'll change yeah, the title I, or something. They might I um I know we're not talking about that episode that aired tonight. But there's one thing I got to get out of my off of my chest because it is one of the things that stuck in my brain from last season, and I got to go there right now. I'm sorry, I got to go there. I just got to do it right now because <laughs> I I don't want. I just got to say it. I got to say it. I got to got to go there. Last season, when Giorgio kicked Lorca in the face, standing <laughs> behind her, that 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 Michelle Yeoh could do that just absolutely. I was blown away. I'm just totally blown away. Oh, my God. Do we ever get to see her kick butt like ever in this episode <laughs> that we're going to talk about next week that was on today? I just, you know, Michelle Yeoh is such a, a, a an on-screen presence. She is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I think that we are fortunate as Star Trek fans to be able to enjoy her work. We do. And Giorgio... Um, is just the ultimate. I think she could kick Arnold Schwarzenegger 
and Sylvester Stallone's butt simultaneously. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, was I I I have no doubt she could. I have no doubt she could. And uh, we, we will talk more about what blew me away next week. Um, you guys can go and watch the episode. It's, it aired today. Um, we'll talk about it next week. But but keep your eye on the bar scene. Uh, that's the one I'm talking about because uh, Giorgio is back with a vengeance. And if you thought kicking Lorca in the face while he's standing behind her was incredible, wait you see what she does in this bar scene, in this bar fight. It's just wow. So, anyways. So we're going to take another oh I got I didn't even get it get it ready where is it We're going to take another commercial break as soon as I can find the commercial where is it where? Okay I'll use this one Um we're going to take another commercial break and when we come back we're going to go through the fan ratings of this episode and then we're going to dive right in we have some sound bites we got a lot to talk about we're going to dive right into it so don't touch your dial don't go away we'll be right back after we hear this very Very important message from Eric. Hi, this is Eric from Trek Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and related sci-fi content, and we want to hear from you. Call into the show Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on the East Coast, and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith that you'll call. And we're back. That's an oldie but a goodie, huh? Yeah, that was fun. That was that's an oldie. Sometimes I pull mm-hmm. those out. I, I couldn't find. I I got to talking about Giorgio, and I didn't have the next spot queued up, and that was the next one on my list. So we got to hear Eric. <laughs> so sometimes we get the anyways, fun of the of the randomness. Yeah, I mean, because I are doing a Halloween spooktacular show. Um, next Saturday on the on Halloween night, so I have all of the songs and stuff loaded in here. So I've got literally like like ninety five sound bites on my board that I have to go through to get to what I want. <laughs> so that's that's why that happened. But as I said before the break, on a scale of one to ten, with ten is the best, what would you rate the Star Trek Discovery episode? That hope is you. And uh, as usual, I picked fifteen. Uh, responses from the fans, uh, and I try to be fair. You know, I I, I don't pick all good ones. I, I try to, to to get a, a good good uh, you know cut of what fans had to say. And with that, Eric, you can start us off. Yes. Uh, well, Christy Cummings said the ending was wonderful. It was a great solid episode. Can't wait for next week. Ten. Yeah, I agree, Christy. Nice. Uh, Eric Meyer said, for a first episode, nine. I liked it. Hoping the next episode has the entrance of Discovery. James Milholan said, hmm, probably an eight all in all. A good opening episode for the season. Brian John Dawes said, meh, I don't know. Loads I loved in the episode, but it still doesn't feel Star Trek. It seems really dumbed down. I also don't think the writers understand what makes Trek, Trek. And Rob Romero said, I'm giving it a 10. I loved it. Loved the cinematography slash CGI as well. Charles, who else was commenting on us? Oh, we got 
Then Kaysinger, give it a 9.5. I never get perfect scores. Bill <laughs> Price, probably a 7, a good start. Eric Belcher, set a 5. Chandra Jones, set an 8. Stuart Charles Byrne Jones, 10. No complaints. I didn't find any flaws. Bowed well. Not deliberately inflated or stretched. The cat was there. <laughs> Jim, sure what do your people say? Well, my, my people aren't as exciting as you guys got, so uh, we'll just continue on. So uh, Elijah Samuel Clark gave it a 10. Harry and Eva Mason, I don't know whether it was Harry or Eva, but one of the Mason clan scored it a 7. Barry Pearson gave it a 5. Stephen Mack gave it an 8. And Pedro Mc, McMahon gave it a 9. Just excellent. So I think it's safe to say that the majority of, of our fans on our Facebook page Gave this an an eight, nine, or a ten. They were all on the top mm-hmm. of the uh, scale. Um, not Jim. You asked for it. You got it. Oh, they okay. Average, the average of our our fifteen people is an eight point two five. They gave an eight mm-hmm. and a quarter. So that's not too shabby. Pretty good for first episode. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Episode. Yeah, and and you know there there was a lot more uh, responses, but we you know we're kind of squeezed for time a little bit, so you know we we can't play every we I can't get every comment, so I just try to be fair and get as you know get a good round taking of it. So let's uh, dive right in and talk about this episode. You guys ready? You excited about this? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. All right. So uh, before we talk about it, though, I do want to play the season three trailer. This is the trailer that, well, anyways, this is the trailer for Star Trek Discovery. Feels like a dream, this world. Strange, beautiful dream. All decks prepare for impact. I've been searching for clues as to what caused the burn. Answers that might help to bring the Federation together again. So much we still do not know. It is quite extraordinary, the journey we have had. Ah, there she is. Science vessel's practically a museum. Okay, well, museums are cool, so... That's what someone who lives in a museum would say. The Federation gave me a mission and a purpose. Five unidentified vessels incoming. Because the problems often seem insurmountable. Let's go! But haven't we always risen to meet them? I'm about to do something that might get us both killed. I'm gonna enjoy this new world. Discovery carried us into the future. We will make that future bright. You are going to figure out what caused the burn and help to rebuild the Federation. We all will. 
Hello. Wow. I'm not a cat person. I love that scene with Tilly. (laughs) I I, I can see my cat doing that. I can see AJ do that. So, anyways, I was so excited. We got to see this episode two weeks ago, as well as the one that was on tonight. So we got to see it early, and I was so excited sitting here watching it. It was just outstanding. I, I just can't say enough good about it. I got to watch the second episode again tonight, and it was even better the second time I watched it. Um, this episode, That Hope Is You, oh, I, I think I watched a total of four times I watched this episode. Watched it at the premiere, <laughs> watched it a second time, watched it a third time to analyze it and to talk about it, and then I had to watch it a fourth time to pull off the sound bites that we're going to play for you guys. So I watched it four times. I have It has just gets better and better every time I watch it. One of our... One of mm-hmm. our, our uh, followers said that he really loved the CGI and the cinematography. Oh, my God. One of the holdups with the season with getting it out was that they had to do all that post-production from home, and it shows because the, it, it has a feel to it that I haven't seen in a Star Trek TV series. I, I'm going to say ever, ever. I don't think I've ever wow. seen a Star Trek TV show with the production value and the the cinematography of that that this first episode had um, when they were well, on yeah. the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One one of the things yep. they said. One of the things that I one of the things I heard, and I can't remember which who when they when they did it. But two of the actors said in filming, it felt. Strange to be in Iceland with no trees, and just now seeing the screen, it's like, oh, I, oh, it was on the premiere. It was on the uh, real premiere. Tilly and Doug both talk. Tilly and Doug or Michael talked about. It. I think Tilly and Doug talked about. It, but there were no trees. It was just really interesting and unique to be filming in Iceland. And just the scenes in Iceland are incredible. It it, it, it shows because... Episode episode two is going to have more of it. Star Trek generally films on planet hell. And all of their exterior shots are, are, are done on the sound stage. And I'm not knocking that. That's just the yeah. way it was. But this particular episode, yeah. Star Trek Discovery, went on location and it shows because it feels big. It feels massive. It's visually stimulating. And the only thing that's CGI, the only stuff there that's not really there, are all the floating planets and chunks of, of I don't know what they are, Asteroids or whatever they are yeah. um, is the CGI and sky, but yeah. but I just yeah. I was blown away by the feel of it, the, the the sheer scope. It was just outstanding, absolutely top notch, phenomenal, and um, it just it never gets old. It's it's it, it, it's that that good. So um, it, it shows. What did what did you guys think? Did you notice the exterior filming locations, or what did you think about them, Eric? Yeah, did you, for sure. Did you give it any thought? Yeah, I, I 
I think one of the things that uh, I noticed about it was that um, they give us a bunch of these kind of wide shots that almost look like they're maybe shot from a drone or something like that, where they're you're high above the scene. I think about the scene on the beach in this particular one uh, where Michael is there with the with the space worm uh, and they kind of give you this wide shot. And I think that's what adds to what you're talking about there, Jim, the epicness of it, because it, it does a better job. I think than most television shows of putting you in the environment you're in and noticing how that environment really affects what's going on with the story. I mean, we'll talk about uh, specifics of the story later on, but there's a scene in particular where, uh, you know, after Michael sort of lands on this planet and sees where she has to go and she looks out across this wasteland and, you know, that, that view right there, I think you could not have gotten with CGI or on a soundstage or anything like that. It had to be on location and it just added to the drama of that scene for sure. And there was one scene, um, I remember at the end of The Last Jedi, when uh, Ray walks up to Luke Skywalker, gives him a lightsaber, and he throws it over his shoulder. That scene where they're, where they're going to Luke Skywalker reminded me of, of that scene in this episode, because you had these, these pointy um, islands, I guess, these little triangular pointy islands that were out in the water with, with trees on top. Did they have trees on top of them? I don't remember. Yeah, it's like thick. It's like thick. It's not trees, but it's like thick undergrowth that they're walking on. And I mean, it is kind of funny because a couple yeah. of those scenes where they're sort of flying by, you notice that they're on a rock that's surrounded on all sides by chasms. So it's like, why would you walk there? But, <laughs> but it yeah, is a beautiful it's just... setting. And and what's interesting too is I've seen some pictures online that show how some of the digital coloration of the environment, like some of that color is real and actually what's there. Some of it is definitely enhanced in different ways to make it more of an alien atmosphere. And there's just, there's just so many unique views, um, you know, given by this location. It's unbelievable. It's, it, who knew Well, I mean, a lot of people have told me go to Iceland because it's so diverse. You'll never believe it. And, and now that I've seen a bit of it on, on screen, I believe it. It's awesome, but before before we get too far, I, I got I got to rewind a little bit because I'm so excited. I love this episode so much, but I I got to go back before I forget and we leave it in the dust. The opening sequence. Did you guys mm-hmm. notice they changed it? Quite significantly. Oh, yeah. They've changed it every every season so far, and they definitely updated it once again. They keep a lot of the same stuff, and it's definitely in the same um, style. But they change a lot of details. What are some of the ones you noticed, Jim? One of the biggest ones um, that I noticed was the dots. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. because they get an awful lot of screen time. And we only saw them in the final episode uh, being launched from the Enterprise. And we did see the short trek Ephraim dot. Um, But Mm -hmm. other than that, we've never seen dots. And now in the opening sequence of Discovery, we see 16 dots. They all have blue eyes except yeah. the one that has red eyes. I don't know the significance of the color change of the eyes. It made me think of control because Arium's eyes got the three red triangular dots in them when she got taken over. Um, but I don't know the significance of the red eye dots, and I don't know the significance of the dot droids themselves because we've never seen them. So I thought that was strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's pretty prominent in the in the credits too. Like you said, they actually spend some some screen time with those. They sort of show them assembling, and then they show a whole bunch of them together. And there's the one that's different. I absolutely took that to mean that we have not seen the last of Control. That's totally conjecture, but man, it sure would it sure would seem like it, given the animation that we see there. Um, you know, they also added uh, a bunch of red crystals which we now, of course, know based on the first episode, uh, are dilithium. And it was kind of fun. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Ready Room later on, too, I think. But um, it's kind of fun learning that they had to develop these new dilithium crystals that we're seeing uh, in this in this and future episodes uh, and how ways in which they made them seem more realistic um, were explained, which was kind of cool. And here yeah. we see them in the opening credits now. We we also see a um, a phaser be disassembled and reassembled into a new phaser. I don't know if that's going to be that's a new preferred cool phaser one. of the future Federation or not, but that was pretty uh, pretty cool. And then we see a new ship. I don't know what the ship was or what it is. We see a new ship. It looks like a ship at at, at the end of the credits that. Comes we de- together. We definitely, see, we, see- we definitely see something that looks like a ship, and we definitely see the formation uh, of our new Delta Shield for sure, too. Yeah, kind of cool that is really cool. Into that. So yeah, there's a lot in those opening credits that we that we don't quite understand what they are yet, but they're there, and they don't do anything by mistake or accidentally. So we'll have to wait and see what that means, but. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the credits before we talk about the episode because that was okay. the first thing I noticed when I watched it was that they changed the credits again, which was awesome. Yeah. And I, well, I and just love that Discovery starts, theme song. Yeah, and this episode starts the same way that they all have in the past, basically, in that there's there's a, a scene. I don't know what they call it, but it's like the scene before the credits. So there's a bit of the story before the credits, then they break into the credits, then they break into the rest of the story. Yes. Yep. So, uh, Jamie, uh, are you there? Can you hear us? Yes, I'm here. So I know you were pretty excited when you saw the episode because you called me at work to tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it after I saw it. Um, I was pretty excited about the opening sequence. It was really great to see that they changed it up a little bit and I did really appreciate seeing Emperor Giorgio back although I'm really not liking her character this season I think she's a bit um, overpowering or bearing if you will and I enjoyed seeing Tilly mature like I knew that she would Um, and I also enjoyed seeing Linos yep I'm not not going to say too much because now I'm getting into the second episode (laughs) Yeah, you're get you're getting. I know, I know you loved it. We watched it twice together, but we're talking about the first episode. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I know. I like the first about one Georgia too. But either, when so. she, yeah, but the Michael Burnham part was cool when she was walking on the beach and she met Book and the cat. Um, the cat was really funny. It was great to see a cat on Star Trek. I was hoping to see a new animal because the captains have always had a fish, and then of course the the dog the little beagle dog and now we have a cat 
And Grudge, she's really cool for a big Cancun cat. And, of course, Book calls her his queen, which is really neat. And I just thought it was really cool how they introduced Michael Burnham to Book and his cat. She was like, why is there a cat on board the Discovery? It almost seemed as if she was a little bit afraid of her at first, but... I think she got used to it after a while. And I do think that Michael Burnham and, and him are going to become good friends as the season goes on. I think so. Based on what and I've I seen also, on, on interviews. Right. And then the only the other thing I want to touch base on is I really did enjoy seeing Ed the crew back together. And then when Michael Burnham is injected with this, truth serum I guess they were trying to get her to tell the truth and she sort of had this little this Tilly moment like oh my gosh and just spouting out things that Tilly would say Uh, for example when she said hold your horses and Michael Burnham is just sitting there just laughing at everyone and everything while they're having this this phaser shootout and she's laughing at everyone and that one scene where she's just like I am so helpful. I've got to tell people about it. And then they're sitting there and she goes to shoot. She shoots the guy and laughs. Oh, my God, what? And I'm like, oh, look, she turned into Tilly. That was really funny. And then I'm thinking of Lower Decks because she reminded me of Ensign Mariner and of um, of the Orion from uh, Lower Decks, too. Tendi. Tendi. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about that scene a little bit later. I do have a sound bite from that scene to play. But overall, Jamie, uh, we got the fan ratings. We haven't talked about it and rated it yet. But overall, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, what would you give this the first episode so far? Um, out of uh, 10 chevrons, I'm, I'm going to give the first episode. I, I enjoyed it. I'm going to give this first episode a solid 10. I think it deserves it. Ten, and our so far, what what was our average fan rating, Eric? Uh, Charles, eight point two. Eight point two five. Eight point two five. So, yeah, excellent. And uh, yeah, so I actually have a clip I'm going to play for you guys right now, and uh, this clip I'm entitled it "Gorn." In case you don't know what that means, uh, this is the clip called "Gorn." My name. I do not want your acquaintance. The nearest natural wormhole is a hundred light years from here. That means you came out of a wormhole you created with tech from I don't know where. You think ripping holes in space is a good idea? Wasn't bad enough for you the Gorn destroyed two light years worth of subspace? Wait, the Gorn did what? How many people do you think are on channels right now saying, I saw a crazy woman in a funny suit. Anyone want to buy some last coordinates? I... Where'd you get that weapon? I don't want to know. Your rocket girl outfit's gone for tritanium alloy. Hasn't been anything like that in years. Do not call me Rocket Girl. You know, from around these parts. No, she's not. So the thing I found interesting about that particular soundbite, the reason why I picked it, there was actually two things. First of all, it refers to a natural wormhole. Now, as far as we know, there's only one, and that's at Deep Space Nine. So apparently, in the future, there's more than one unless this takes place near Deep Space Nine, which I don't think it does. There's more than one wormhole. And, of course, well, mentioning the, the Gorn, you know, tearing up subspace yeah. for two light years. Those were the two interesting facts I pulled out of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a whole series of stable and unstable natural wormholes out there. We just happen to get the story of one um, because of its location next to Bajor in Deep Space Nine. But I get the sense that there are a lot of stable wormholes out there. But, of course, the closest one here, as book says, is 100 light years away. And, you know, spoiler alert, they don't have dilithium where they have very limited dilithium here. So warp travel is pretty limited uh, in this time. Now, the Gorn having destroyed two light years of subspace, at first I was like, oh, man, the first thing I thought about was that whole omega molecule thing that we've talked about before on the show. But then somebody turned me back around and said something about it being that they were doing experiments with dilithium. Did they actually, did I miss that? Did they reference that in the show somewhere? They say how the Gorn destroyed two light years of subspace. I I don't, they don't I didn't right? catch anything in particular, no. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing that I could think of would be, you know, an omega molecule type thing that we've talked about because, of course, the omega molecule, if uh, if left, you know, to hands that can't really handle it, has the power if it blows up to destroy subspace and actually make warp travel impossible, um, whether you have dilithium or not. <laughs> so that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, I just thought it was great they mentioned the Gorn. They keep dancing around the Gorn, um, and we've yet to so, actually see them, but they're prevalent. They're there. No, so let's talk a little bit about the timing of that, Jim, since you brought the Gorn up. So this, so we start in 22, what, 57, 58, and then, of course, they travel 930 years into the future. The first time that we ever saw the Gorn in TOS was the uh, episode Arena. And as far as we know, the Federation didn't really know too much more about the Gorn at all before that episode. I think that was our introduction to the Gorn, right? So that would have taken place something like 12, 13, 14 years distant in the future from Michael Burnham. So they're like... How in the world did she did she actually recognize that she knew who the Gorn were in that scene, or was she just more interested in the fact ah. that two light years of subspace were um, were destroyed, or uh, well, do we go back to when Lorca was on the ship yeah. and he had we're his Gorn take, skeleton from the Mirror Universe? We have to take a quick break, guys. When we come back, we're going to answer that question. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi-related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast Time. Hailing frequencies are always open and will get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. And we're back. So Michael Burnham, I've heard this conversation on on the internet. Was Michael Burnham, uh, uh, when he says that, is she referring to the fact of 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 the the destruction of subspace, or is she referring to the fact of the Gorn of those two things? Which mm-hmm. is the one that she's most excited, uh, which gets her attention the most, and. I think like Charles said, he's exactly right. We did see a Gorn skeleton in Lorca's ready room or whatever, house of horrors, whatever you want to call it. 
And so I think it's totally plausible that she already knows what a Gorn is from Lorca. He had it in his in in the ships. She had to have seen it, right? I mean, how could she I mean, not? For, for the, I, I mean, I think it's I do think it's possible. I think for the record, in my opinion, she was saying the Gorn did what, and it was more about the what and not so much about the fact that she knew who the Gorn were. I mean, she didn't. Her first thought was not who are the Gorn. Her first thought was what subspace got destroyed. How'd that happen? That was my take on it. Right, that's 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 my take on it too. I think it was more of a of a uh, you know what got destroyed rather than who did the destroying. But it is interesting that people brought that up, and it made me kind of go back and actually at least go through the mental thought process of okay, when did we see first see the Gorn? And you know, I mean, I, I think in some ways our little group here wouldn't be too concerned if a few things fell outside of something that we had seen before in a previous series, but a lot of people find that stuff really important. And so it's always important to address it, I think, and just continue to show that the writers really are on the ball and thinking about how things fit into established canon. Absolutely. The next clip that I want to play for you guys is a trip I call time travel. True believer. Time traveler. Yeah. I figured. Don't know how you came by whatever you used to get here. All time travel technology was destroyed after the temporal wars. Outlawed. There was no other way. For me. So the thing that I took out of that was that finally ties up the knot of what happened on Star Trek Enterprise. The Star Trek Enterprise spent, oh, I don't know, two and a half, three years, a long time, stuck in the temporal cold war. And um, a lot of people feel that that bogged the show down. Um, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But the fact is that now we get that, we get a resolution to that. The temporal wars ended at some point, you know, book knows about it. So, and, and it was after Discovery jumped to the future. We don't know exactly when, but the temporal wars were going on and are, are known to people that it happened and it's over. Now time travel is outlawed, which mm-hmm. is an interesting topic in and of itself because, well, in any way. So that's what I put in. Well, that's what I found interesting about that. Yeah, I mean, time travel being outlawed is an interesting concept because that sort of makes you wonder if time travel technology just became so available that everybody kind of had it and, you know, was it was really starting to mess with the timeline. Um, that would be my guess. I love the fact that this ties, uh, you're right, Jim, into Azadi Prime, which is that episode where we get to see the Enterprise J um, in the future. Um, um, and it's nice to know that something, I, I think some people have complained because something like a temporal cold war. I mean, if you think about, if you get too caught up in your own thoughts and you're thinking, well, does that even have a beginning or an end? Because it's of course across time and that sort of thing. But, um, whether it bogged down the series or not, it was a 
a kind of beginning and end uh, story arc that happened during Enterprise that was a major story arc. And as Enterprise became the one bookend to the kind of Star Trek universe as the very, very beginning, even pre-Federation, it's nice, I think, that it's potentially being re-referenced here at the other bookend, which is as far in the future as we've gone. You know, this kind of this now reestablishes the end of what we have as the the overall continuum of Star Trek uh, available to us. So, I think it's I think it's really interesting, and I like the fact that they're kind of re-referencing that stuff. And then, of course, um, we were having a little chat earlier today uh, amongst ourselves about the ways that some of these short tracks might tie into this episode as well. Yeah, and I didn't get a I didn't get a clip um, for that, but let's talk about that right now because um, there's a, the awesome, awesome, awesome Michelle Yeoh kicking butt in episode two, which was on today that we're going to talk about next week. And in this episode right here that we're talking about right now, and in Calypso, we hear one particular word, that a thread that goes through all of them. And what is that word, Eric? Vadresh. Vadresh. Uh, we, we have, have which we, yep. We know. We now we know exactly what that really is. Yeah. Well, that okay. is a I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Confirmed. Yeah, no, it was confirmed by Michael ep- Chabon. Yeah, absolutely. It was confirmed by Michael Chabon that Vidraish is a sync up or a or a similar sounding version of Federation. And actually we suspected it when we saw Calypso, uh, which was the short trek uh about the you know, set in the far future. The Discovery uh has an AI called Zora and there's a very nice interaction between a character named Kraft and Zora. Um and, it, of course, now uh, in our 32nd century uh, Discovery Season 3, that word has been used uh, several times by a couple of different characters in Episodes 1 and 2. And so now we have kind of confirmed that it does mean Federation. And I I kind of get the feeling that when you say Vidraish, you're kind of saying a slur of the Federation, right? It's like... You're not saying it with reverence. You're saying it with uh, disdain and kind of a bad taste in your mouth. And, and we, we, we get that confirmed in episode two, uh, which was on tonight. And because the the guy in the bar that Giorgio kicks his butt is talking to Saru and Tilly, and and there and he the what he particularly says you you Federation types. He uses the word federation. So so this guy in the future knows what the federation is because he says it. But then later on, mm-hmm. when he says to Saru, you must be a, one of those new Badresh captains. And so first he calls him from the federation, then he calls him a Badresh captain, meaning the way I took it is that when he's referring to the Federation, he's talking about the past. And when he's talking about mm-hmm. the Madresh captain, he's talking about what, what's currently going on. So for me, that cemented for me very clearly that the Madresh is the Federation. Well, used to be the Federation, what's left of it. So that confirmed mm-hmm. it for me. So now we yeah, know absolutely. That, that when Kraft was talking about 
um, being at war with the Badrash, it would have been the Federation mm-hmm. or what's left of it. And that brings us That's to another. Right. Well, we don't want to talk too much about Calypso because we already did, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dude, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about with that, but I don't want to get into that right now. Um, so we know that the Badrash is the Federation. That's the takeaway from that. So, yeah. And, and you've been awful quiet, Charles. Well, I'm just waiting for what you got coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've got another clip to play for you guys. And uh, this clip I just called The Truth. Uh, this is taking too long. I'm hungry. Let's get a sandwich. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Finally, here we go. That's not right. Did you adjust the dosage again? I've told you so many times not to do that. (laughs) This stuff has a real integral consciousness. (laughs) Yeah, it makes people truthful. They talk. Yes, yes, I feel that. I feel you. I get that. I have a friend with red hair. You cannot give her any. Where did you get the vintage gear? Vintage is a matter of perspective, isn't it? Because to me, you are Agua, but to me, you are forced green. How are you connected to the Federation? I'm dying to talk about it. I'm dying to talk about it because today does not happen to people. Ever. I might be angry about it. I'm supportive. I mean, I'm so supportive. I am reflexively supportive. And what is that about? I'm overcompensating. I gotta talk to someone. You need to sit. Can you sit? It's a super cool story. It's just in a completely devastating way. <laughs> Hadley, look, I need more dilithium or I'm done. So, Jamie, <laughs> that's the scene you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is so much better that's... when you played the clip. But, yes, didn't you all see the Tilly connection there and the Tendi and Mariner oh, that yeah. I was talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> yeah. a good fun scene in the middle of a very serious episode. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was the best. The best part of it, Jim, was that it made everyone who watched it laugh out loud. And I think that that is one of the things that if you, if you kind of go back and maybe some of the older Star Trek had a little bit more humor to it, you know, they threw it into episodes, uh, excuse me, seasons one and two of Discovery a little bit, but they didn't really have a lot of belly roaring humor like this. And that scene was so funny and it made everybody laugh out loud and it just, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the episode, made you happy for the rest of the episode. And I think Sonequa Martin-Green nailed it. She, she nailed yeah. it. She said, I love, my, the writing was so good too, right? She says, it's a super cool story just in a completely devastating way. <laughs> I mean, that is a great line. <laughs> and and when she says, cool I have a friend story. with red hair, you don't want to give her any of that. I was like, oh, my God, she's talking about Tilly. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to mess with Tilly, no. <laughs> yeah. Could you go, see Tilly go, if she go got a dose of that? Butt, you don't want that to happen. Could <laughs> oh. <laughs> you imagine Tilly or Tendi getting that? Oh yeah. Oh, oh please, my gosh. No. Tendi would oh. be it would be crazy. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah, it. that was a great fun episode. So, uh, uh. Moment. let's take a minute here to talk about. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, the syndicate. <laughs> 
I, I, get, I don't know what you want to call it, but mm-hmm. the remnants of the Federation, we have the mourners. I, I forgot what the name of Mourn's race is, but uh, we'll call the them the mourners. The Lord, they're, they're hanging out there. They're hanging out with the Orions. They're hanging out with the Andorians who were part of the Federation and apparently no longer are. And mm-hmm. we also see Tellarites there. And we see that big fish head dude that died on Star Trek Discovery. There was two of them on the Discovery. One of them is dead now, the big fish head people who don't have a name. Uh, and we see all these races hanging out in this syndicate pirate. Uh, I guess they're pirates, right? I don't know what to call them. They don't have a name yet. But well, that they go called, around they collecting that, dilithium and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the way that it was kind of laid out for us in this episode, the, the economy of this area occurs in, an, in a zone called the mercantile, which is where all the business is done. And you basically have these couriers like Book and like um, Cosmo, the guy who's chasing him at the beginning of the, of the episode. And they actually basically carry packages to and from places, but, they ha- but all the money flows through the Orions. And it seems like maybe the Andorians are kind of like the security force for the Orions who are actually handling the money and everything is kind of going through them. So I actually, I thought that was kind of a clever idea because you could imagine in a post um, Federation society where people were left, uh, you know, didn't have as many resources, you might have elements like the crime syndicate, the Orion crime syndicate rear their ugly heads and, and get things like control of the money when, in fact, they don't – you know, you didn't see Orion enforcers here, right? You saw all Andorian guys with guns, and, and DeLorean had a gun too. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, fascinating uh, uh, kind of environment to put this in. Some people have said that it felt a little Star Wars-y. Um, uh, okay, I guess. I mean, sure, in that it was gritty and kind of underground, which I think is a Star Wars thing and has not yet been a consistent thing on Star Trek. You get it every once in a while, but now we've got a Star Trek that actually is going to take place in an environment where there's going to be some grit um, and break down a society. So it's a little different. I loved it. I thought it was Well, I, I saw that comparison to Star Wars, and I never, never once while I was watching this did it take me out of st- the Star Trek universe. There was no. nothing in it that was so vagrantly stolen from Star Wars that my brain immediately said, oh, that's Endor. Oh, that's the Empire. Yeah. Or that, um, There was nothing in it that made me think Star Wars. The only thing, like I said at the beginning, was that the, the – formations of the island things uh, where where book meets uh, Burnham on the beach reminded me of where where Luke Skywalker meets up with Ray but other than that I never I never got pulled out of Star Trek I believe that this was Star Trek the whole time it never pulled me out but there is one thing I want to talk to you guys about something that I noticed in this episode that's completely different from every single incarnation of Star Trek that we've ever seen. In this episode, they run around killing people. Did you guys notice this? Yeah. Yeah. The the mm-hmm. the the handy thingy flashlight things, whatever they are, just disintegrate people. Just poof, you're gone. There's no stun, you're dead. 
and the the weapons that they were using those rifle type things they're not phasers that they were shooting at um that, that they were pointing at Giorgio killed you as well there was no stun i mean they they it burned a hole through you when you were dead so in this new yeah. incarnation of star yeah. trek there's no stun you're 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 dead and that's something new for star trek did you guys notice that people were dying yeah yeah i mean it it's true the, those were stolen weapons also those it's not like those were federation issue rifles i guarantee federation issue rifles still have a stun setting on them but those, you're right, those weapons were kind of brutal. I don't really see it as that different from Seven of Nine uh, going on her rampage in Picard, honestly. Um, we're in a world now where we get scenes like that uh, in the CD undergrounds in Star Trek. And so, you know, it's, it's different, um, but it's not that surprising given kind of, you know, this modern standards. Something right. I've got to kind of say in here is all, uh, pretty much all the Star Trek series have all revolved around the Federation. We're not dealing with the Federation at this point. Yeah. We're dealing post federation We're dealing with post-Federation where it's a lot more lawless around, and they can do what they want. And you have syndicates like this that, okay, I don't like that guy. Okay, get rid of him. And that's you guys a weapon to be able to incinerate somebody. Yeah, you're right, Charles. And, you know, let's not forget that this is a very Roddenberry premise, right? Um, like he he's had these premises in the past of kind of there having been a an order to the universe that then kind of breaks down and then there's a bunch of heroes that have to come back and and kind of try and bring it all back, bring back the glory of what was in the past. Um, you know, there was the Andromeda television series, but there's other Roddenberry uh, scripts and that sort of stuff that kind of revolve around that premise. And I think that's kind of what we're, we're getting here. And, it, and it's a good one, you know. It's a premise that, you know, you could argue, well, Battlestar Galactica did it and, you know, other people have done it. Well, that may be true, but I think that Star Trek is positioned to be able to actually bring the real optimism to that whole process that I think it deserves. And um, it seems like in this first episode, they certainly set up a very positive, very funny, you know, a type of Star Trek that makes you feel good when you watch it. Um, and I think that's really what people want out of their Star Trek these days. I think that's why people were so excited about uh, strange new worlds. They think they're going to get that with that too. You know, more optimistic Star Trek, and here we've got it in Discovery as well. Well, not not to get really really deep here, but if you look out what's going on in the world right now, and you look at what's going on, what's about to happen here in the United States in in a couple of weeks here, you can see a definite correlation between what we see on Star Trek. We have we have a, a great we have the Federation, which has been in decline and is no longer the Federation that used to be. And then we have the idealistic Federation officers that are, that are going to attempt to bring that hope and that belief and those ethics and those morals back to a, a galaxy that very badly needs it. So I think it's perfect for what's going on right now. Uh, but, I, but, yeah. 
we do we do have some other stuff to talk about. So um, the big one, the biggest one of all, is this next clip, which I just simply call. I can say two things about you. That moral compass of yours led you straight into a mid-space collision that could have killed both of us. What's the other thing? We believe in ghosts. What does that mean? A badge on your shirt. Sometimes you see a guy with one of those badges getting himself all worked up about the Federation. The old days. True believers. Can't handle that it's gone. The Federation is gone. That's impossible. What happened? Beats me. What happened? Collapsed, I guess. It was a long time ago. After the burn. What's the burn? What's the burn? How can you not know this stuff? Seriously, where are you from? I don't want to know. The burn was the day the galaxy took a hard left. Dilithium. One day, most of it just went boom. Dilithium is the heart of every work capable ship. What did that mean? Did it destabilize? How? I don't know. A lot of people died. Federation couldn't say for sure what happened or why, or that it wouldn't happen again. I think they tried to hang on, but after a while, they just weren't around anymore. That's not possible. Okay. When? 100, 120 years ago, before I was born. Federation isn't just about ships and warp drive. It's about a vision and all those who believe in that vision. That's nice. Do yourself a favor and take off that badge before we get to Requiem. So, the burn. We gotta talk about the burn. Now, I think, based on what we know about Discovery and the way they write these things, and we just talked about the connection that we had to Calypso, there's another short track called The Runaway. And I think, in my opinion, that the burn directly relates back to Maliki Likabakalugusagapo, who, if you guys remember, created the dilithium recharging cage, which Discovery used to recharge the time crystal so that they could jump into the future. And we know that from the Star Trek that, you know, Scotty says, well, we can't even recharge crystals in our own time. So we know that that technology didn't get out immediately, uh, you know, because discovery takes place before uh, TOS. But we do learn that discovery got, or that um, the lithium crystals were harder and harder to come by. So I would not put it, 
put it past them to say that they, instead of trying to mine more dilithium, they would just recrystallize the dilithium they currently had. And I'm thinking that it's like making a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Eventually that photocopy degrades to the point where it's no longer viable. And I, my opinion, think that the Federation was just recrystallizing the same old crystals over and over and over again. And eventually they went boom. And that's why not every single ship exploded. They still have some Federation ships. It depends on, you know, what generation the dilithium was or if it was an actual crystal versus a recrystalled crystal or whatnot. And um, that's my take on it. But uh, what do you guys think? Yeah. Well, well that was an interesting. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Charles. Charles. It's actually, it's actually part of the reason why I asked him to get this clip. When he said, well, pick out your clip for the week. That was the clip I wanted because you wonder, we sit there and wonder, well, why is things so changed in this time period? And we have the burn. And we're really wanting to know what it is. And I think that's going to be a tie-in to the season this time, is really dealing with what is the burn? What did happen? The Gorn experiment that damaged it. You also look at the fact that Starfleet, headquarters, Starfleet Communications Center can go 12 sectors, and that's as far as he can, he can deal with and deal with in communication. There is no long-distance communications anymore. There is no long range. And really, to figure out what did happen here. And we're dealing with whole new series of questions because Star Trek's never been out this far. And I think it's a really good tie-in to seeing, okay, let's see what they can do with a story that's dealing with uh, um, we can say post nemesis. Now we can say post Picard. But let's see what happens exactly. in the future. And really, it is serious. What, what was the burn? What did cause all these ships to get lost? Or was it an experiment of some kind that went wrong and degraded uh, dilithium to unstable? Well, it's, it's also interesting years that to be able to get it back. It wouldn't affect the Romulans because the Romulans used a, a quantum singularity at the center of their warp ships. Now their entire society gets destroyed in Picard, so we don't know how many Romulan ships are left out there. But they don't use the lithium, yeah. so they wouldn't have been affected. Klingons? I'm not sure. Did they use the lithium? I don't know. Up for I don't know. Has it ever? Have we ever been told that yeah, I think particularly? We have been well. There's a there is a guide that tells us that the Klingon ships, I think, have similar technology in terms of uh, how they travel at warp to the Federation. So, yeah, I do think it would have affected them. And you know, it's interesting because I guess one thing that is really cool about this whole topic is that it had never made me think uh, back so much to previous episodes and previous times that dilithium has been talked about. You know, we always talk about Star Trek being set in a post-scarcity society, 
But in fact, dilithium has always been a scarce resource in Star Trek. And in fact, there were several episodes of The Next Generation that dealt with that. You know, uh, even back to TOS, there there's talk of dilithium yeah. mines and, you know, how important it is that they make sure that they get the dilithium out of these mines. Um, Time-wise, at least when I did my research uh, on Memory Alpha with regards to the recrystallization, which I think Poe called hers like an incubator, but um, she invented that in 2257. Um, we know apparently from TOS that by the 2360s, Starfleet had some limited ability to re recrystallize, but only when it was kind of like it, there's this thing, I guess, called the dilithium articulation frame. So very limited. We didn't have wide recrystallization power until the 2380s, which, of course, was what you guys were talking about, where Spock and, and Scott figure out how to, how to make that happen based on some old technology. But also um, in 2372, the Voyager um, discovered a new form of dilithium in the Delta Quadrant, which allowed them to go faster and farther. Um, and there was a cool episode called Threshold where they tried a warp 10 flight in a shuttle um, with Tom Paris there. But yeah, it kind of yeah. makes you think about, you know, oil and gas and things like that in our society. And man, what happens if all of that sudden were to just, rather than peter out like it is right now, what if the tap was just shut off? And it was just gone. What would that cause? You know, how would that? How would the fact that an entire society can't even travel between point to point? Not, not to mention the fact that a bunch of them were destroyed. Exactly. Boy, and look so, at yeah. Tom Paris. Look at what happened mm -hmm. to Tom Paris when he reached warp ten. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, that whole theory of, you know, when you reach Warp 10, you kind of occupy all points in the universe at the same time. That's That gets pretty intense at the same time. <laughs> it's a big deal. And, and uh, we, we have one more clip to, to play for you guys, a clip that, oh. that Eric wanted me to get. I do want it's to true. say one I, thing, though. The one, the, yeah, and Jim, the other thing about – the last thing I'll say about dilithium is uh, actually Book mentions that his ship can travel in a couple of different ways, but that he says why he can't do them. So they talk about things like quantum slipstream, and he says something about trilithium, which is another substance that comes from Star Trek. So you get the idea that ships have many – maybe a few ways to travel, but that all of them take valuable resources, and dilithium being so uh, scarce is the biggest problem. Yes. I just want to say before we play the last clip and uh, that we are lucky. And I, I truly, truly feel sorry for, for fans that refuse to watch Discovery and just and hate it for whatever reason they might have because you're missing out on this, this opportunity to, to actually, truly, boldly go where no one has gone before and to visit strange new worlds and civilizations like we have never done before as a Star Trek fan, we actually are in an unknown territory for the first time ever. We don't know about Andorians. We don't know about Klingons. We don't know about the Rom. We don't even know about the Borg. We don't know anything about this new world. Nothing. So everything that we learn is going to be brand new, like watching Star Trek again for the very first time. The only thing we do know is the Discovery and the crew. Everything else we're going to learn as we go along. And for me, that's a great and exciting place to be as a Star Trek fan. And it brings a spark to it 
that it, it, that's invigorating. It's like watching TNG for the first time, you know, back back in the 80s. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's a great time mm-hmm. to be a Star Trek fan. I'm so excited for what we're about to experience that I just, it's incredible. It's incredible. So we have one more clip to play for you guys. And this is a clip that, that Eric asked me to get. And I simply call this clip The Worm. basically how the episode ends and it ends with her and that great line of, I just really didn't know how this day was going to turn out. And she's had a heck of a day. So (laughs) just in terms of the like laugh factor and the joy that that brought me, that was, that was one of the main reasons. But the other one was that, you know, this is the second time in this episode that we get to see Booker um, kind of display what he confirmed in uh, ready room to be an ability that he has, and it, it's some sort of connection to natural things. Uh, at one point, he summons a plant that can help heal Burnham's scratch that she has on her arm. At this point, he's able to kind of commune with the trans worm um, to to make it, you know, simmer down and actually spit out Michael, <laughs> which is really funny. Uh, but he's got this kind of – there are so many things to dig into. I know that we're short on time, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But the thing on his forehead glows and kind of looks like a bird that kind of looks like maybe the tattoo that's on the back of um, of Kraft's back uh, in Calypso that also kind of looks like the bird that shows up in Episode 4 of Lower Decks when the guy ascends and kind of turns into that pure energy being. There's this – this idea of the bird, which of course I know, you know, of, you know, directly relates to Roddenberry, great bird of the galaxy and all that sort of stuff. But I just find this fascinating that they're introducing this character that has this ability. And um, David Ajala said that we would actually, his character would develop over the season from someone who is a lone wolf into somebody who really learns about family um, and he morphs and he changes and, you know, becomes a different person. So I think he's going to have a really cool, arc uh and i just love this scene with both him and burnham that hilarious line just uh, so funny <laughs> so before we do run out of time though let's go through and and score the episode and we'll start off with charles on a scale of one to ten what would you give this episode charles and why 
I think I'm gonna go kind of with the fan and go at about uh, a little higher. Looks about an eight point five. I think they really did a good opener, and I think this was a real uh, as we kind of predicted. This was definitely a good teaser where we got just Michael Burnham, and we know from the teasers that we will now we will now get our discovery side. But I think this is really a good, well-handled season opener. And really, I think it got me the point of saying, yep. Yeah, so I think I'm right around in there with Charles. I think uh, I'll go a little higher. I'm going to go like an 8.7, mostly because it made me laugh an awful lot. And you can get a lot of points from me just for just for making me do that in science fiction. So really solid episode. Great premise for the season. I love the tech and the visuals were amazing. So 8.7 from me. And I'm going to go, I'm going to bump it up to a nine. I love the score. I love the CG. I love the environment that they were in. I like that. Well, I don't know what do they call that? The self-replicating um, uh, nanites or whatever matter. they were. Pro- programmable. I thought matter, that was so it, cool. Yeah. That yeah. was so cool. And uh, just to see all our characters back again was was fun. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up to a nine. I'm gonna give it a nine. So uh, absolutely, and, and make sure show. you watch make sure you watch Ready Room too, folks, because that is a good show too, and that's available right there on CBS All Access as well. Yeah, we were going to talk about Ready Room, but we just didn't get a time tonight. Uh, yeah, for various reasons, but that's okay. This was a great episode, absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait to talk about episode two. Like I said, Giorgio is a monster; she kicks butt, takes names. So we'll talk about that next week. I want to remind everybody to visit our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Like and follow us there. Head over to blogtalkradio.com backslash truck talk and like and follow us there so you never miss a show. And uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who's listening around the globe. Thank you very much to my awesome co-host, Eric. Thank you for joining us. A great time as always, guys. Thank you so much. And thank you to Charles for hanging out with us and Truck Talking tonight as well. Oh, thank you. Always fun. And I want to say thank you to my daughter, Jamie, for calling in from the bedroom. Thank you, Jamie. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, reminding everybody to stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. And we have a new ending for the show here tonight, which I pulled off of this episode for you guys to listen to. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. Good night. So long and prosper. Hope is a powerful thing. Sometimes it's the only thing. Our numbers are few. Our spirit is undiminished. If there are others out there, we'll find them. We will.